Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. We are back in once again on the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs off an amazing Final Four in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where the Virginia Cavaliers redeem themselves a year after humiliating and embarrassing themselves with a loss to a 16 seed. A lot of the same core guys, the same head coach, the same program, obviously, climb the mountain and plant the UVA flag as the national champs for 2019. Welcome in, and we're ready to talk all about it, including bringing on right now senior handicapper and writer, VegasInsider.com, perfecto for the NCAA tournament, including having Texas Tech in the uh, Final Four win over Michigan State. Uh, Bravo to Kevin Rogers, who is back with me once more on Three Dog Thursday. My goodness, what a Final Four. Good to be with you, sir. Yes, and uh, yeah, it turned out very well, uh, the Final Four, as far as uh, the picks went. So very happy about that. You know, obviously you had an overtime game in the championship, maybe not two teams the nation wanted to see. But at the same time, though, now the season's over with. And, uh, yeah, I guess a lot to look back at. Yeah, and as I, as I said a couple of moments ago, so many times we engage, what a shock, in, in uh, sports radio, podcasts, when we're talking about games, writing about them on the Internet. We, we love to call things, uh, you know, great game, uh, phenomenal, unbelievable, epic game. Uh, Kevin, to have been inside U.S. Bank Stadium uh, with all the coverage uh, that I do and I'm in and around college basketball and be there in Minnesota uh, to see the drama uh, of of Texas Tech making a comeback and having a chance to win the game. Virginia's down. They hit the three and tie the game. Texas Tech could have won the game and Jarrett Culver missed the shot and then they had one more reload with a second left and the shot was blocked. Now we go to overtime. This was an amazing championship game to be part of. I'd love to have your thoughts. As championship games go, you, you could not have scripted that one to be much more dramatic or crazy or, or, uh, or uh, bring in the audience that, that's wanting to see a, a great finish. Yeah, and I think we get to a point where, you know, everyone's begging for Duke and Kentucky or, uh, you know, Duke and Michigan State or something like that. You know, because then that's going to be a great championship. But we've seen does. We had Villanova, Michigan last year, two great basketball schools, and it wasn't really a great championship. So you can't always get it that way. But then you get Virginia and Texas Tech. I mean, Virginia's obviously been a great basketball school, even though people don't love their brand of basketball. And Texas Tech's a football school, but they've made this resurgence under Chris Beard. And yet people weren't excited about it, but that doesn't mean it's still can't be a great game and for virginia what i find very interesting you know you brought up them losing to umbc last year in the opening round where you know again i said to you time and time again obviously umbc was great and they had their number that game it, it, it is luck of the draw this tournament that if you if uh, virginia drew another 16 seed maybe they go to the final four last year they just had a bad matchup against a team that nobody really thought would be that good and then you look at this year and all of the close calls, yep. the Purdue game, they should have lost. The Auburn game, they should have lost. The Texas Tech game, they could have lost. That you had, And they really didn't beat any traditional powers during this whole stretch. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of question marks on Virginia. They still were the champions, but people may look at them and say, wow, you know, you really lucked out a lot. You lost to a 16 seed last year, and you really lucked out a lot this year. Well, and I've I've had a lot of opinions that I've expressed now in the days after that national semifinal against Auburn and the controversy and the foul at the end and Cal Guy with the three free throws and the missed double dribble that that obviously was. So I've said I've said a lot about what I wanted to say about it. I'm giving you the platform here on Three Dog Thursday. What do you have to say about the uh, the end sequence that got Virginia to the championship game? 
Number one with the double dribble, here's the only fair thing to say. In real time, and I understand, you know, as an official, you have three officials on the court, and they're all assigned to different parts of the court, and so they're all looking at the same things. Whoever was in the trail there, whoever was closest to the ball, has got to call that. Now, with that being said, everyone watching that, I think with all of the excitement and confusion and everything going on, that for, that Auburn's trying to foul Virginia at the end, which I'm fine with. I'm fine with them keep fouling. You have fouls to give. But it looked like it, it maybe was off the Auburn defender, and then he picked it up again. That in real time, I think we were all kind of confused. And then on the replay, everyone saw it. Like, oh, how do you miss that? But no one saw it like in real time. Now, as far as the foul goes in the corner, it's a foul. Yes. There's no question. It's a foul that he, the defender went into him that you almost have to, in that instance, not to say don't chance it, but stand there. Stand straight up. Don't even jump. Like, make him be the – make Kyle Guy be the hero. Have him hit this three-pointer in the corner instead of you, you know, jumping into him and putting that to the line. Like, I'd rather him have one shot in the three than three free throws that he can make. Well, and, Especially in a state sure. where it's hard to shoot. Sure. And uh, just to give perspective on this podcast, because, again, I've been relating it in other places, my vantage point was at the opposite end of the floor for the finish of the Virginia-Auburn game that we're talking about here, Kyle Guy catching it in the left corner. I'm at the other end of the court in the end zone, in this instance behind the Auburn fans at the press tables. I've got a good look at it. But we're at the other end. I can't hear the whistle as he shoots. You couldn't hear it at the other end of the stadium. Uh, and it is a football stadium. And so the the ball bout, clangs off the rim, and you're thinking Auburn's won. I say to the people next to me, Auburn has won the game and is in the national title. And you can see Bruce Pearl walking down to shake Tony Bennett's hands, uh, to shake hands with him. And then, Kevin, in that same second, you're looking at the officials gathering and walking towards the scores table, and I say, he's got a foul. They've got a foul. And I'm with you. It's the right call. And Samir Doty, the Auburn player, took responsibility and said, yes, I got up under him. And and that's a point of emphasis with the officials. If you don't let him land, if you're up under him, it's going to be it's going to be a foul call. We would have loved for it to have played out. But if it's a foul and, and we can't again, I can't oversell Kyle Guy standing there with a final four game on the line has to make two to tie, has a chance to make three to win, it gets no more dramatic than that, Kevin, for the free throws. It does, and uh, obviously, I mean, it's as clutch as you get, and Bruce Pearl called a timeout in between to ice him <laughs> in a sense, and we've seen in football, yeah. and it still didn't matter. From, from my standpoint, though, I had Virginia on Saturday night, and what I was waiting for, like in the Purdue game, where they tied the game at the buzzer on that shot, and they covered in overtime they hit the two free throws after Carson Edwards threw the ball out of bounds that I was just waiting for Kyle Guy to hit two free throws miss the third one go to overtime and then Virginia front door Auburn in overtime that's where I was, <laughs> that was like the ultimate like, beat there that's Mr. Vegas insider on that one so you had had uh, Texas Tech which you, you you got that cover and we'll talk more about the Red Raiders in a second I had Auburn and I still ended up with the Auburn cover. So we went two for two on Final Four weekend. Again, I emphasize the man you're hearing, Kevin Rogers, as part of this podcast, went seven for seven with underdog picks in the opening round, the Sweet 16, and then the Final Four picks. It gets no better than that. Congratulations on picking underdogs on this show. And this is why a lot of the fans gravitate to this show. And a lot of people that like to be small time invested into these games love to listen to us. Bravo, Kevin, on, on being able to get your uh, your underdogs correct. So, again, follow up on Texas Tech because they really put the squeeze on Michigan State. Again, Michigan State had chances at the end of the game to close out, to maybe get it tied just like they did at the end of the Duke game that they were losing. They couldn't hit the shots, make the plays. Texas Tech did. They lost a heartbreaker, Kevin, obviously in the national title game. But it's, it's one of those, again, where they shouldn't hang their head. As, as gut punch as it was to lose the national title game in overtime, they played great throughout the tournament. They played great in the Final Four, and it's just that somebody has to lose the game. And I, I, they've got nothing to be ashamed of. Great season, great job. You know what? And, and yeah, I echo that because I, I've said to you before, I don't believe in – you have one winner, everyone else is a loser. Everyone else, they were a failure. I don't believe in that at all. For Texas Tech, okay, let me, let me back up a second. For Duke, 
yeah, probably a failure not getting the Final Four with all the expectations, okay? But for Texas Tech, for a school that has never been this far, that hired Bob Knight years ago just to maybe, you know, bring the basketball program up and make them relevant, he went to the tournament a few times, but still never went, uh, you know, further than, you know, even like the Sweet 16, that for what Chris Beard has been able to do, go to the Elite Eight two straight years, to destroy Michigan, who was in the national championship last year, Gonzaga, who was one of the top seeds, Michigan State, who had just beaten Duke, to handle all of those teams in this run and then get to overtime with another top seed in Virginia. They lost. Yes, it stinks that they lost, but Texas Tech is probably never getting to this point again. And, yes, they don't have the plaque to show for it, but that's still an incredible run considering the fact that the last team from the state of Texas to win a national championship was Texas Western in 1966. It's not Texas Western anymore. It's UTEP. That University of Texas and Baylor and Texas A&M and all these other schools in Houston, all of them in the, in the state of Texas, have never reached this point. In, I mean, except for Houston, yep. I guess, with Elijah Wan and Clyde Drexler. But past them, no one else has reached this point that Texas Tech has. From that well, state. right. University of Texas has never been in the title game. That 3 team... Uh, lost in the national semifinal. So yet you consider what they were able to do, uh, and especially they lost to West Virginia, a team with a losing record in the Big 12 tournament right off the bat, and and yet they flipped a switch in this NCAA tournament. Chris Beard, fantastic coaching job. So again, bravo to Texas Tech because they were uh, they were great. Again, it is Three Dog Thursday. We're recapping the Final Four, the national title win by Virginia. We are going to talk some coaching carousel with Kevin Rogers coming up as well. Uh, as we go along here, we remind you to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We'll be back in August, by the way, when the college football season cranks up. The, the new shows will come to you automatically if you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, through TuneIn, our friends at RadioInfluence.com. We, we traditionally we kick off with college football and then the NFL uh, in September, go all the way through the Super Bowl talking college football and the NFL, and then it becomes college basketball once the Super Bowl is done. In uh, the first week in February, we come college basketball exclusively for about nine, ten weeks, and that's what we've been doing now in culminating all of this. Um, all right, so one more on the redemption factor. Again, so many times we see the Hollywood story, uh, the, the Hollywood script. Now it's real life. To lose to a 16 seed and the very next year bounce back with Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy that were part of that team. DeAndre Hunter was hurt a year ago when they lost to UMBC. He couldn't play in the ACC tournament. He didn't play in the first-round game that they lost. Those guys being asked about it, Kevin, constantly over the past year, over the past few weeks, even at the Final Four, being asked about it. Tony Bennett being constantly chastised and asked about it, and now they overcome it and they win it. We're going to see a 30 for 30 on ESPN, aren't we? We're going to see a movie. We're going to see a book, and rightfully so, about Virginia. But but here, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but part of me feels this way, and I, and I said it earlier, that does it not prove that we know Virginia was a really good team last year. They got a terrible matchup in the first round that just didn't play. They had the worst possible game they could have ever imagined. That I don't think this was redemption. I think that Virginia just had – one bad game, and it was a great story for college basketball at UMBC, but obviously they proved that they were good enough to go to the national championship. And, and, and yes, they had a lot of close calls, but nobody could say that. I mean, we don't know the answer because they lost, but if they would have either beat UMBC or drawn someone else in, in the in the first right. round, maybe they still get the Elite Eight, you but know, and lose. But or still, get I got I to yeah. come back at you. That shoulda, coulda, woulda. They did lose. They did lose to a 16 seed. They did yeah, hear about it for the last year, and they overcame it. They overcame it psychologically. Prove, though, but does it, but TJ, doesn't it prove, though, they were one seed again, that they won the ACC last year, and they win it this year. I know they didn't win the ACC tournament, but they were one of the top teams, you know, in the country again, and they still ended up, you know, they struggled the first round against Gardner-Webb, and they put it together, and they got all the way to the Final Four, and they got to the championship that, yes, we don't know what would have happened last year, but, you know, I don't look at them as a team that, you know, 
was a lower seed that then had to put it back together and then went back. Like, they just had a bad game. You know, that's all it was. They had one bad game, and, you know, they found a way to just put it together this year. I don't, I don't really hope it's if it's a redemption. I really I'm don't. Just gonna, I think that, I'm, I'm just going to put it yeah, out there for the Virginia fans. He's V.I. Rogers on Twitter. Send all your hate tweets, uh, Cavalier fans. At V.I. Rogers, he's poo-pooing your redemption. My, I'm, I'm selling the Hollywood angle. He's poo-pooing it, Kevin Rogers is. Hey, I got a lot of garbage from Saints fans from, from saying, like, get over the Super Bowl or get over, you know. And by the way, different. okay, great point. Thank you. Redemption. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because Bruce Pearl deserves an awful lot of credit uh, he was irate after the game. And and before you saw the press conference and the interview on CBS in the uh, in the immediate conclusion of the Final Four game, before you saw that, he was going nuts privately on an NCAA official for the call and, and for, you know, how can you do this or whatever. But then publicly, he has done the right thing, and he did the right thing publicly even on Sunday where he said to Auburn fans and everybody else nationally, what we, have, what we were saying coming off the Saints game, get over it, move on. Don't protest by not watching the national title game like the Saints fans who, who were uh, collectively being crybabies. Oh, we're not going to watch the Super Bowl. Like you're the only uh, aggrieved uh, fan base, you are the only ones ever to be robbed by a bad call or a no call. So I say bravo, Kevin Rogers, on the wrap-up Three Dog Thursday to Bruce Pearl because he came right out on the record and said, move on, stop disrespecting Virginia. They won. Uh, it's not going to change anything. Get over it. Let's see what happens in the title game and uh, just root for Auburn next year. I, I, I say bravo to Bruce Pearl on that. Yeah, and I guess going back to the, I guess circling back to the Saints point, you know, let's see what happens this year with all the pass interferences. You're you're, you're going to pay attention. You're going to hope you get every pass interference going your way now. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be ironic if the Saints have a crucial game in December for a playoff spot or a crucial moment in a playoff game, and they have it and they are known for this. This is not a nuclear secret. They are known for running pick plays uh, to get receivers open just beyond the line of scrimmage like you can't believe. Like, they will run them a half dozen, ten times a game. Rub routes, pick plays where one receiver comes and essentially uh, makes a pick or a, a block a screen like in basketball to free somebody else up to run inside of him or around him to get open. Won't it be hilarious irony if the Saints get cost dearly by running one of those pick plays in a key situation and having it called back? Be careful what you wish for. All I'm saying for Bruce Pearl, bravo. Go ahead. I'll say this and I'll, and I'll, and I'll put it to sleep. I'm just going to make two points. I'm going to put this whole thing to sleep with the Saints, okay, just because we brought it up. Number one, they're not exactly angels with the whole – uh, with, with the whole bounty gate thing from years ago, okay? Yep. So that's number one. And number two, when they brought up the Steeler game at the end of December, that there should have been a pass interference called on the Saints that wasn't called, that ended up getting yep. them to home field advantage. So it's like, exactly, be careful what you wish for. So that's all. I'm going to leave it alone and be done with it until September. Yep, and then we got football coming up. All right, Kevin, stand by. We've got more on the way with you wrapping up this college basketball season. Straight ahead, he was there at the Final Four. Hall of Fame basketball writer Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News talking more about Virginia's championship win. What a valiant season for Texas Tech as well. Keep it locked in right here on Three Dog Thursday. We do roll on. It is the final edition for now of the Three Dog Thursday podcast, putting the college basketball season to bed. Kevin Rogers will be back with me a little bit later on with a few more thoughts on how everything is wrapped up, including the coaching carousel. But for great insight, this guy has covered the last 30 Final Fours in a row, 3-0. I'm ready to talk to him about what we saw in Minneapolis and what we saw with Virginia outlasting Texas Tech in a phenomenal game. Mike DeCourcy, uh, who has uh, done a great job for the Sporting News, is one of their senior writers and lead columnists, Great authoritarian on college basketball, including being in the U.S. Basketball Writers Hall of Fame. Oh, by the way, we bow to you, my friend. Good to have you in what an amazing Final Four culminating the tournament with Virginia winning it. We've had a couple days to decompress, but wow. What are your thoughts, sir? 
Yeah, I was I, honestly. I thought that the uh, I, I was worried about the semifinals. Uh, I thought that they took us backward a little bit. That that we were that, that there weren't enough fouls called in those games. That the points were trending down very seriously. I had a concern. I I wasn't one who was writing, oh, we're going to have a terrible title game and this is awful. But I had my concern about the, the, the number of fouls called in the two games. I thought that the Saturday, the Saturday officials were much too lenient. And as a result, physicality uh, was able to reign a little bit in a way that it hadn't in college basketball for four or five years. And I and I did not I, I I wasn't excited about that, but I did not see that on Monday night. I thought that the crew on Monday night called the game the way it was supposed to be called. Uh, Virginia does not foul a lot. They're not a physical team. I mean, I've joked in the past, and I don't know how the Cavaliers should take this, but it sometimes looks like they, they like they the, the weight room at Virginia has a permanent lock on it. <laughs> um, you know, they don't have their guys. You know, they don't they they, they clearly spend a lot of time in the gym because they can play. But you know they, we don't have a lot of built bodybuilders on that team, and and so they're not going to foul as much as as maybe some teams do. So they were a little low, but the, I thought the no, the number was much closer to what it would be in a normal game. I think that's as a result, that's part of the reason why we saw really good basketball played on Monday night, and and so I was really pleased with with what happened. I mean, obviously uh, Virginia getting to eighty five was an amazing number for them, and. But 68 points in a regular season game with that much pressure on the line playing against that level of defense, I was really, I was really excited by that outcome. Well, uh, again, the drama inside that building. I mean, uh, Mike, I was trying to convey it at the beginning of this podcast. You were sitting right there courtside at your press seat. You've been to a lot of these. It, it seemed like uh, as loud or louder than any Final Four that I had been to in a while, Texas Tech fans in particular berserk all around us making it loud. Did it seem that way? It's tough to compare all of them, but it was very loud, very raucous. What an atmosphere. At least that's my take. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was great, uh, and I and I liked the building. I, I liked U.S. Uh, Bank Stadium. I thought it was uh, an attractive place to hold a Final Four. Um, I, I, I really liked Minneapolis as a, as a site, as a site city or whatever. I didn't care for the fact that they kicked us out of this, out of the, uh, basically they started tearing down the floor almost as soon as they got the, the teams off it. That was not a great moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, usually it, you know, they just like say, okay, game's over. We'll get to this in the morning. And they did not do, you know, they were like, uh, they're like the party hosts who want to start cleaning up when the guests are still there. So that was, other than that, uh, I was really delighted by the entire experience in Minneapolis. Well, and, we should say, if I can interject, we, we should say we got gorgeous weather relative to what we could have gotten because they've had massive amounts of snow prior to. They're getting massive amounts of snow now late in this week. So we did catch yes. a break there in that regard, too. We did. It, you know, and that's the... I think that's the third Final Four I've covered there. I believe the '92 and 2001, and then this right, one. Right, right. And the weather has been good for all three. And I covered a couple of regionals there, and and haven't encountered bad weather either. And those, of course, are a week earlier. And, and this was a so uh, you know I, I haven't seen uh, the bad weather there, uh, with the exception of one time I was covering Cincinnati in December and and went there, and it was cold, but it wasn't snowy, so. Uh, I've been I've been really lucky on my trips to Minneapolis not to have to deal with that. Again, Mike DeCourcy with us for just a few more moments. Love his insight on the college game. You wrote for SportingNews.com that Virginia finally proved that their way of offense can work, can win a national title. Explain more about what you read, and, and uh, we want people to go read what you have out there, but explain more about what you mean. Well, I think, first of all, uh, we, we have to remember that people really hammered Tony Bennett and, and the Virginia program after the UMBC loss. I mean, that was, of all the upset losses that you've ever seen in the NCAA tournament, obviously that was the most severe, the only 16 over one we've ever seen. But they really took a, they really took a beating on that. And, you know, in, in some ways I think it was really good for them. And, and not, not for, any, for any, like, inspirational ways. I mean, it's up to them to decide. I mean, look, we've seen teams get beaten. 
and say, okay, this is going to define us. We're going to get better. And then they maybe get better, but they still find a way, you know, to get upset or get beaten or whatever. Uh, but I think that what happened in that game, I, I went back and I remember at the time believing and, and writing that their error in that game was being too beholden to their system. And what they did against UMBC, there were times in the UMBC game where their physical superiority was obvious, but they never enforced it. They were, they, when they were struggling to, to, to defend, when they were struggling to get enough possession, they could have pressed. They were physically superior to UMBC. But they said, no, it's not what we do. We're going to play our way. We're going to, we'll, we'll get there. And then it's, all of a sudden there's four minutes left, and they're down big. And, and so now they press, but it's too late. They, you can't get enough done to do that. So it, it should have come much sooner. You had to be more flexible. Things weren't going, and this is your own. You've you got to stay alive. So this is who we are is not an answer. And I think Tony learned a lesson that night. I mean, he had a, obviously a, a better team than UMBC, and they should have advanced. So he comes into this year, and the first thing he does is he looks at the fact that he's got Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and Ty Jerome. Do we need to play movers and blockers with three guys like that on the floor? Probably not. You can play more standard, you know, uh, more standard the way everybody else is playing kind of basketball. So they they incorporated more ball screens, more continuity into their offense. Uh, They still had moments when they probably drained it a little bit too much. They did that a couple of times over the weekend, usually when they had a lead. And, I'm a believer in certain segments. Like if you get to the four minute timeout and you've got a double digit lead and you're still playing like you usually play, you're messing it up. I mean, you should be doing the math as I call it. You know, if we could take a shot clock violation on every possession. And if we don't let them score too fast, we still win that kind of thing. But they, they were doing that at five, six minutes and they were giving up leads as a result. So now that, so now they, you know, they have the ball screen continuity in their offense. You know, they're playing more like that. And then, as well, even their defense, they were willing to trick it up in order to get a particular game. And I go back to the Purdue game in the regional final. Right. They watched, as everybody else did, watched Ryan Klein make seven three-pointers against Tennessee, make five of them down the stretch under enormous game pressure. And he made two early against against Virginia, and Tony Bennett said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Every time they dribble handoff with Ryan Klein, we trap that. We, you know, the, 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 the big defender comes and, and hard hedges, and, and then they, and the, the other defender trails, and we get a hard trap, and we drive him to the sideline or drive him to midcourt, and he's got to give up the ball. And Jack Salt was in for a lot of that. He's their 6'11 center who both, mostly is a defender and a screener. And they and he did not play a lot in the tournament, but in that circumstance, they said he, we need him for this. And they drove Ryan Klein back, and they made him give up the ball. And they told Jack, "Look, don't worry about your guy. We'll deal with that. If he makes a layup or whatever, we'll deal with that. But we do not want Ryan Klein to score." And he didn't. He did not make another basket the rest of the game because of that tactic. And that's not something they would have done a year ago. They would have just played their ball and and expected it to succeed. So those lessons that they took out of UMBC, much more technical than they were just, oh, we were so fired up and we, you know, we wanted to do it for, for our, you know, to, to avenge ourselves. It was really more about we had to change the way we do things or the way we were willing to do things if we wanted to survive this tournament. Well put from Mike DeCourcy. Again, read more on that article at SportingNews.com. I have always said throughout my career that in football, basketball, and all sports, the highway is littered figuratively with the carcasses and skeletons of coaches who wouldn't adjust, who wouldn't adja- adapt, wouldn't change. <laughs> yes. They end up getting fired because you don't win enough. You don't win the big ones enough because you won't ad- adjust or adapt to uh, your own game or to what your opponents are doing or how everybody else plays. So... Uh, fascinating on uh, on that front, and again for Virginia to win that Purdue game when they were trailing in the final couple of seconds on a broken play, 
win the Auburn game when they're trailing in the final second with three free throws. And if I'm not mistaken, you were courtside at that end of the floor. The foul was called in front of you in the Auburn game. And Kyle Guy is standing there two to tie, three to win at the foul line right in front of you. I mean, what a moment in U.S. Bank Stadium with all the pressure. And he was just money, money, money. Three free throws in a row, Mike. I've seen that situation a few times. Not in person. Well, actually in person. Carson Edwards in the uh, Purdue-Tennessee game right. had a situation like that. He was at the opposite end of the floor. I was at the opposite baseline. So I didn't get a re- to really look at Carson before he went to the line. But he made two of three, and they went to overtime and won that game. And we, If you know basketball well or followed it for a while, you may remember Darius Washington. in. Oh, yes. Con- it was Conference USA final against Louisville 2005. Uh, How about this? I'll interrupt. I'll interrupt. I was right there because I had worked that (laughs) tournament as USF's radio announcer. Uh, You know I'm a Memphis State, now University of Memphis alum. So now now my radio media thing is out of the way, and I am secretly watching this going, my God, he's going to make these free throws, and they're going to make the NCAA tournament on the automatic bid, winning four games in four days. So I can I can testify to that moment with no one at the foul line in the home arena where everybody hushed down. He makes the first and everybody goes crazy and he's winking at John Calipari and then he misses the second. And now now right. everybody realizes if he doesn't make the third, there is no overtime. The game's over and he barely got the ball to the rim. And I was, oh, I, I mean, it was amazing to watch that unfold. I was even with him about 25 30 feet away from him watching that unfold. Now, I was at the other end of U.S. Bank Stadium, but you were right there watching Kyle Guy by comparison. What about it? Well, you know, I, I, the, the, the coda to that is I can still remember Darius Washington pulling his jersey over his face after missing the <laughs> right, third. I mean, right. the, I mean, the most horrified look ever. So I'm looking, like, as soon as that foul gets called, I'm less concerned about the veracity of the foul call um, that'll, I can, that can wait for me. I can get to replay. So while everybody else is trying to figure out that they mess up the call, I am lasered in on Kyle Guy. I want to know everything that happens in that moment so that I can describe it in my story. And I am watching him telling you he looked like he was getting ready to order an ice cream cone. Like the only, you know, like, okay, do I want Rocky Road or, you know, peanut butter chip? This is a tough decision here. I mean, that's what it looked like. He was so cool. And he, and he went right up, and he just knocked them off. And when he knocked the first one in, I, then I, I took my eyes off of Kyle because I saw Bryce Brown. And Bryce Brown, I, I don't think he had been on the line, but he had been basically to, to Kyle's right behind the three-point line where you have to stay if you're not on the line. You have to be behind the three-point line. So he's right on that edge. And when he made that first one, Bryce knew. I mean, he knew the game was over. And he walked over to the side, toward the sideline, uh, and he looked. He just looked basically into these stands, and because he couldn't bear to watch, because he knew that those were going in. And when the second one, he, he sort of put his hands on his knees, and when the second one went in, I mean, uh, you know, he didn't even look. He never looked, and he knew those balls were going in. The third one goes in, and then he's almost like Darius Washington at that point. Now his jersey is up over his face. So the juxtaposition there, kind of interesting. Uh, and, of course, Kyle, when, when they went in, they still had to defend .6 seconds. Uh, but uh, I think we all kind of knew that wasn't going to happen. And it was, it was really an amazing thing to see how, how really uh, confident he was, how cool he was, how eager he was to take on that moment. I, I, I couldn't be more impressed by how he handled it. And this is the reason why the guys in the Hall of Fame, with the writing and the and the correlation and all of that of those two moments, I love it from Mike DeCourcy. We got to go in a moment. I, I don't know how it's a Hollywood esque ending with Virginia winning off of losing to a 16 seed the year before. Come back the next year with several of the same guys, the same head coach, being asked about it by us, by everybody for 52 weeks uh, until the next first round of the tournament, and then for four more weeks while they're winning. Uh, incredible. And and Texas Tech was valiant, too, and had a chance to win the national title on a shot by Jarrett Culver that didn't go in. I mean, Mike, it was just 
Uh, it's a great event to be part of, and uh, we can't convey that enough, can we, about how dramatic it was again here? Well, I will tell you that I'm, I've been doing this for, as you said, I, this is my 32nd tournament and my 30th Final Four. And I saw more great games in this tournament. I mean, I saw, I did a piece two years ago, and we updated it for this year, um, ranking the 30, 30 best games that I covered. Now, of course, not every great game in a tournament am I going to be there. I, I'm, you know, I'm not Zellig or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to be, I'm, so I, I was just listening, like when I did the list, they're like, why not this game? I wasn't there. I, yes. mean, I was TV like you. So it's 30. So in this tournament, I mean, I was at Duke UCS. I was at Purdue, Tennessee. I was at Purdue, Virginia, and I was at Virginia, Texas Tech. I mean, those four games would, you know, I already updated it um, in advance of the Final Four, and I put those three games in. I think they were all top 12, and this game would certainly be top 15. You know, people's memories become kind of rose-colored over the years. When I did it, I think I ranked, the first time I I ranked the Illinois-Arizona game in 2005, around 21. And people remember that as this fabulous game because because of the ending. It was not a great game. It had it had eight great minutes because well it was a great it was a great thirty seven minutes for Arizona fans because they were kicking the heck out of Illinois, which was the number one team for a lot of that year. I mean they were just drilling them and they were doing it in their backyard. It was in uh, it was at All State Arena uh, in in Rosemont, Illinois, right out by O'Hare Airport, and they were just drilling them, and it wasn't great. I mean, and then Illinois just completely turned the game over, fifteen down or thirteen down or whatever in three minutes. It was an amazing comeback, and then the overtime was very good, but it it wasn't the kind of game that we saw in that we saw two of in Louisville. Those the Purdue game and the tennis the the um, Purdue the Purdue uh, game against Virginia. Tennessee, right. Purdue, Tennessee. And, and then, the and Tennessee then... game was a little bit like the uh, it was a little bit like the Illinois game, but the comeback was sooner, so there was so there was more time for it to be dramatic. I mean, Tennessee gets ahead by three. Ryan Klein makes a three. Tennessee gets ahead by two. Ryan Klein makes a three. This happens five, four times in the final four and a half minutes. I mean, people were losing their minds. It was unbelievable. And then, of course, this game, this was back and forth, the largest lead, 9, 10 points, uh, back and forth the whole way. Uh, first five or six minutes were not beautiful basketball, but after that it really picked up. I mean, to go to 68 points in regulation after those first five or six minutes, I mean, they were playing at what would have been close to an 80-point pace after that slow start. I mean, they were probably 76, 78 points if they'd had the start at the same level that the last 34, 35 minutes were played. So just fabulous games. And I, I can't tell you, I mean, people worry about the future of the tournament, and I worry about it from the standpoint of I don't think it's good for basketball generally to not have the best players go through college. I don't think it helps the game on any level. I don't think it helps high school. I don't think it helps AAU. I don't think it helps college, and I don't think it helps the NBA. And the lack of foresight on that from Mark Emmert and from Adam Silver is extraordinarily disappointing. They should know better. Let me tell you, uh, David Stern and Miles Brand, they knew better. These guys should get together and figure it out instead of continuing to, 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 to to take swipes at each other and each other's rules. In, in the public and in the press, uh, Miles Brand and David Stern, they, they knew what was best for the game. And these two that are supposed to be their successors are dropping the ball. Very interesting from Mike DeCourcy on that front because, again, uh, the college game uh, continues to thrive. And uh, the drama of those Elite Eight games and Final Four games and, and the scene there on Monday night was something to behold. And I appreciate Mike's insight. Reading more at SportingNews.com. I always love the college basketball wisdom. He writes about many other things as well now as at uh, SportingNews.com. But I love him for his college hoops. I love getting to see you too. This past week, I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't get a meal in this past yeah, weekend. I, know. I, be... I, I will say that one of my highlights, man, uh, of the last few Final Fours was 
you know, stumbling into you and Mark and Ari and, and, uh, and having that dinner. It, it, I had a blast. It was so much fun. And to tell Mark how wrong he is about his, his of ideas course. for expanding the tournament. Um, I wish we'd been able to pull that off. Uh, we got to do it next time. Yeah, rain check for next go around in Atlanta or somewhere else. But anyway, thank you. Thank you for the time on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Great, uh, great to catch up with you on the phone here. Great stuff from the Final Four. And we thank you, Michael. You bet. Anytime for you, TJ. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. We are bringing him back in one more time. Senior handicapper at RyderVegasInsider.com, Mr. Kevin Rogers, back with me as we put a cap on this 2019 college basketball season, 2018-2019 NCAA basketball tournament, Final Four won by Virginia. Now, Kevin, as I bring you back in, I'm going to say this again. If you get an opportunity to go, uh, you've got to go. Just as a fan, I, I get a privilege of being there and covering it through TuneIn and other podcasts and broadcasts have been there. Now 18 Final Fours that I have been to in men's college basketball for the, for the championship uh, that that was as great a championship game as I have ever seen in person. I, I know the Kansas-Memphis game, it broke my heart as a Memphis alum. That was an overtime game, dramatic shot with Mario Chalmers. That was not as great a second half, and Kansas dominated the overtime. This was either team could have won down the stretch, big shot after big shot. Either team could have won in overtime, Virginia and Texas Tech. And again, we overuse it, but it's a shame that somebody had to lose and Texas Tech did. Just a great game, a great event. Kevin, this thing uh, never fails to disappoint. It's gotten bigger and bigger. It is the best event in sports. It is it is a bigger event than what the Super Bowl is because it's four fan bases. It's three games on its championship weekend, not just two fan bases in one game. With the concerts, with the fact that you've got the same 75,000 people there, I know it doesn't get the same television ratings. The NFL is king. We all love the NFL. But I believe this event has surpassed the Super Bowl in terms of event, in terms of 100,000 people show up, 150,000 people show up, depending on where it is, and show up for the event, the concerts, and maybe they can get into the game, maybe they can't. It's, it's incredible. Your thoughts just on that real quick before we move on on the college coaching carousel. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've never been to a Final Four, so I, I like to – go one of these years but you know obviously yeah i mean i get the ratings thing and i understand the monday night you know you know on the east coast it's tough to if you're not interested in the teams at 9 20 but at the same time i was looking at it this way and all the exception of the super bowl the super bowl is the only one that you can have anybody in there it doesn't matter but every other sport it feels like unless your team is not in it everyone can say the i don't care i don't care you know, I mean, in baseball, you have the Red Sox and Dodgers, and people don't watch it. You know, I mean, it's just, I think that past the NFL, if a lot of these people will say, well, Duke's in it, I don't care. Well, if you like college basketball, you shouldn't care if That's Duke's right. in it or not, you know? And if you, but, uh, can I add you, to that? If, you know. if you're a true sports fan, you're watching not just the NFL playoffs, not you're, you're also going to watch the baseball playoffs. If you are an educated, true sports fan, you're going to pay attention to some of the Stanley Cup, maybe not all of it, for hockey. You're going to watch the Kentucky Derby. You're going to watch college football and its postseason and its bowls, and you're going to watch this tournament. And if you didn't watch that game the other night because it wasn't Duke or UCLA or Kentucky or North Carolina or Syracuse or Kansas, you aren't an educated sports fan. You're not a true sports fan. A true sports fan, you missed out. It was a phenomenal game. It was a phenomenal last two weekends of this tournament. I'm just echoing what you're saying. It's 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 quite an event. And by the way, it was a 12 rating on Monday night, which is a massive rating for weeknight TV, even without the big brand name. It still did exceptionally well in terms of audience. It had over 20 million people watching. And to your point, if we if we fast forward a couple of months and the NBA playoffs conclude with a finals that has the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry and company, but it has the Milwaukee Bucks, which, sorry, no one in the Northeast cares about the Milwaukee Bucks. Very few people in the middle of the country, other than the upper Midwest, are going to care about the Milwaukee Bucks. So if that's who it is, without a LeBron James on the other side, 
Um, they're going to be in trouble ratings wise in the NBA. Watch, mark it down to the to the point about wanting the brand names. Kevin, go ahead one more time. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, even in the in the NBA, you know, you still have Giannis on the box. So, I mean, that's somewhat of a you know, if you're an NBA fan, but I, you know what it is? It just goes back to this too. You know, we always get fixated on we have to see Duke, we have to see Kentucky, we have to see these teams. No one else is allowed in the club. Texas Tech is not allowed in the club. Auburn's not allowed in the club. We can't have anybody else, heaven forbid. But yet, if it's Loyola Chicago, then we want to see Sister Jean and we want to keep going with it. <laughs> you know, so there are certain big majors, it's okay. But if you're a major school that's known more for football than basketball, it's not okay. So I right. don't understand that point. Yep. Well, I mean, I, you know, look, we could go on and on that that in the Northeast, for example, by and large, they don't watch no matter who is there unless it's Duke. The, it, Kentucky can be there. Kansas can be there. North Carolina, Indiana and New York and Boston and Philadelphia. They don't watch by and large. And in a lot of cases in the West, whether it's L.A. or San Francisco or Portland or Seattle, I'm knocking them. They have NFL teams. They have NBA teams. They have Major League Baseball teams. But you look at the metrics and the ratings for uh, the NCAA tournament, they don't watch by and large. So such is life. But a lot of the country did watch, and a lot of country did enjoy it. And so we love that part. All right, let's get to the coaching carousel which is still spinning at the time that we tape this. And again, you may be listening in a couple of days after Three Dog Thursday, and some of it finally solidifies. We were talking the UCLA job last week, and, and whether they were zeroing in on Jamie Dixon, it turns out his buyout was too great. We covered that last week. Kevin, this was a clown show through the weekend with, uh, with trying to hire a head coach. The storied UCLA Bruins could not hire a head coach and the end result is they, they flirted with Rick Barnes, and he held Tennessee up for more money and, and more concessions on uh, practice facility and other, and other stuff. And they end up hiring Cincinnati's Mick Cronin. Your reaction to, in, to the end of the odyssey for UCLA and ending up with Mick Cronin of Cincinnati real quick? Well, there's a couple things in play here. Number one, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing Mick Cronin got more money going to UCLA yes. and being in Cincinnati. But also, you know, you built something at Cincinnati after Bob Huggins was there for so long and Andy Kennedy was there for a cup of coffee before he went to Ole Miss and then Mick Cronin, you know, kind of took over that program. And, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, is it worth the headache going out to UCLA to deal with all that as opposed to being at Cincinnati where you're probably going to be fine for a long time. Like, they're not going to get rid of you, you know. And, and Cincinnati is probably a better basketball program right now than UCLA is. So, you know, that's where you kind of wonder, you know, why you would – you know, go out to LA. Cause here's my problem. And this is like the West coast bias with the PAC 12. And we saw how they didn't know how many bids they would get. They got two with Washington. Well, they got three of Washington, Arizona state and Oregon. Only reason Oregon really got is because they won the tournament. They probably wouldn't have gotten in. I don't think if they didn't win the PAC 12 right. tournament, but you know, they were really down to the PAC 12 this year. Arizona was down. Uh, you know, UCLA was down. Some of these, you know, named schools that are normally pretty good, you know, weren't very good this year. And I just say, why do I get buried out there? Like, no one's really, unfortunately, the West Coast teams, no one's paying attention to. They don't go to the tournament or they don't go far in the tournament that often. Like, I just kind of wondered if you're Mick Cronin, is it really a step up? You know, there are other guys, you know, Jamie Dixon, maybe at TCU, where he needed a job after the whole pit debacle that, you know, he helped out his cause a bit. And obviously UCLA didn't want to pay the buyout. But, you know, for that, I would say, you know, that's a better job. I don't really know if UCLA is a better job than Cincinnati right now. Well, it hasn't been been in recent years. We We were having these discussions in and around the Final Four with media members. UCLA is an iconic program. It is the number two market in the country. It is as fertile ground, and Kevin, you know this, I'm not preaching to you. It is as fertile ground as you can find for basketball. Southern California, brand name. There are numerous star players that you have access to if, you are, if you're just halfway doing it right. So uh, let's see if Mick Cronin can get something done, can get them back to relevancy. It is a complete out-of-the-box hire. He's the fourth, fifth, or sixth choice, and everybody knows it. 
I don't know that this lasts long term. It, it, it may be that this is a one or two year thing and he gets fired and the AD Dan Guerrero finally gets fired for hiring him. Remember, this is the same guy that's hired and fired uh, the likes of Jim Mora uh, and also Steve Alford. Uh, they, they've been a mess. The uh, the UCLA athletic department over the past, let's say, eight to ten years uh, since he fired Ben Hallen in the first place, who had been in three straight Final Fours uh, in and around the time that he fired him. So we'll see for UCLA. All right, so Cincinnati is now open. That's not a bad job at all. We'll see who takes that. One of the big discussions, and it's not official right now as we're taping Three Dog Thursday, I guess there's back and forth, that allegedly Chris Mullen is resigning at... Uh, St. John's getting some kind of a smaller buyout than his than his regular buyout of his contract. He's going to resign. St. John's is going to be open. The big rumor at the Final Four was, is Bobby Hurley going to leave Arizona State and go to St. John's? All right, so the first part of it is, we don't know the full resolution at the time we're taping. But if the St. John's job is open, is Bobby Hurley going to leave Arizona State? And is he the logical guy there? St. Anthony's, a Catholic school in New York, is where he played his high school ball before he played at Duke. Is Hurley going to be the guy at St. John's to kind of reinvigorate that program in the Big East? I mean, I think that's just about basically if you want to go home. And, uh, you know, obviously he and his brother Dan, who's at UConn now, his father, who, you know, was the, was the coach there at that St. Anthony's, you know, New Jersey that, uh, you know, if he just wants to go back home, like that's kind of the – the question now you know you've seen other rumors you know would they take a shot with rick patino you know i even saw someone put out there which i think would be a crazy one not a crazy hire but a crazy if he left would be like would billy donovan go to st john's interesting you know you know so i mean there, these are all new york new jersey connections obviously i i, I think chris mullen was just overdoing this i don't think I, I don't mean overdoing one word i mean overdoing two words i think it was over this job I think he was just like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is too much work. I can I, can I interject? That. That's my belief. Can I interject? The media that was talking there from New York is that, um, how about not doing instead of overdoing? The belief was he didn't care about doing the job, about recruiting. He had someone else recruiting for him. Basically, Louis Orr was one of those guys. Louis Orr, who was a former uh, or actually, I have the wrong name, Louis Orr, not there, but he, he actually hired uh, an, another prominent recruiter, uh, was in and around uh, New York, and, uh, and, and was doing the recruiting of the players. Uh, he wasn't the, the X and O coach on the staff. Gary St. Jean's son uh, was the assistant doing a lot of the Xing and Oing. There was great debate and talk, and there has been in New York, about Chris Mullen doesn't really care about the actual coaching of this team in terms of recruiting the players or even the X's and O's. It's just kind of an ambassador role that he played at the school. He's the figurehead. There, there was great belief that he didn't care. So, uh, and maybe that's what Mike Craig, the athletic director, also senses is that you know the the desire to actually do the things necessary to make them a Sweet Sixteen, Final Four program if they can ever get there aren't there within Chris Mullen. Let him go do something else, and we'll find somebody that wants to work. Seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year with recruiting and with coaching this team to get it to where it has to go. We'll, we'll see, but uh, uh, it, it will be interesting if, if the divorce is final there and he's gone. What does St. John's do? Does Hurley leave Arizona State? Who takes that job? And one more, we don't know what's going to happen with Will Wade at this point at LSU. The conversation again at the Final Four, Kevin Rogers, is that he's talking to them and trying to keep his job. More than likely, LSU at some point in the near future is going to decide there's too much baggage here. There have been NCAA violations. We're, we're going to get rid of him. Um, if that does happen, now LSU's open as well. So you could have the Cincinnati job. You could have the St. John's job for a little bit. You could have the Arizona State job. You might have the LSU job. The carousel's going to keep spinning here, Kevin, for a couple more weeks. Yeah, and it's really amazing that the, you know you see these coaches that are at these mid majors that are getting these opportunities now at big schools, and you know it's kind of just you know how it works that all it takes is one or two jobs to open at big schools, and then all of a sudden you get guys that sign big deals at smaller schools like ah well I'm I'm done here I'm going to move on now I I you know let, let me let me go to greener pastures and uh, yeah I, I, it's really it, it's a really intriguing thing seeing you know, what these, 
coaches do and how they move up. And, you know, obviously when you look at some of these, you know, guys like Chris Beard, you know, Chris Beard was at Arkansas Little Rock for one season and he got them to the tournament and they won, I think they beat Purdue. And then he went to UNLV for like five minutes. And then he was like, okay, I want to go to Texas Tech. And the Texas Tech job opened up when Tubby uh, left to go to Memphis. So, you know, it's just all these jobs are just really interesting in how they work out and, you know, who succeeds at which place. Okay, one more fun one. I'm just going to go right down the list. St. John's, better job than Arizona State. In Bobby Hurley's case, you would say yes, that he moves up. Is the St. John's job overall better than Arizona State, Big East versus Pac-12? What would you say? I'd go with yes for a few reasons. One, better basketball tradition. Two, you're not competing with Arizona. Even though Arizona's a bit down, you're not competing with them. And three, exposure. You're in New York City, and I'm sure people, I'm sure Arizona State's easier to recruit to, weather, girls, all this other stuff, you know, where, you know, St. John's, yeah, you're in New York City, but, uh, you know, you're still, you know, you're on FS1, which I don't know if that's much of an advantage, but, you know, you're on the Pac-12 network for a lot of your games. I mean, I know ESPN and FS1 has got a lot of games for the Pac-12, but, I mean, I'd say it's New York City. You're, you're more visible. That's that's what I believe. And, you know, you don't really have a lot of competition in right. New York. That's the thing. That St. John's is kind of like the school of New York City where, you know, you get to play Duke and you get to play some of these other teams at a conference at Madison Square Garden where Arizona State, you're playing Washington State and sure. Oregon and Cal and all that. All right, same teams, kind of know? question. If Arizona State's open, if Hurley has left, and you're hearing us on Three Dog Thursday, and Hurley leaves and goes and takes the St. John's job or leaves and takes another job, if Arizona State's open and LSU's open, same kind of thing because they're both more known for football, not basketball powerhouses per se, which is the better job, real quick. And either one or both are going to get a big name, you would think. What about it? What do you think? So, I mean, I, I'd probably go with LSU, you know, because of what they've just done. And, and, and I'm sorry, it's just, yes, LSU has more of the football angle to it as far as, like, you know, people care more about football at LSU than they do at Arizona State, I'm sure. But it's just location, you know. It, it, you know, you're the top school in, in your state, you know. And I just think that Arizona State, just being behind Arizona is always going to hurt them. It's like being at Kansas State. You know, Bruce Weber can only do so much behind Bill Self. You know, they can win the Big 12, but it doesn't matter. You're still behind Kansas. Like, I, that's where I just, I'm not saying it's a bad job. I'm just saying that other jobs, it's you know, it's hard to get a good coach to go out there. Sure. All right. Well, let's see what happens with the carousel as it wraps up. We're wrapping up Three Dog Thursday. Kevin Rogers again, seven for seven with his NCAA tournament picks. You've gotten great information all year long, uh, not just from the college and NFL football, but college hoops as well. We've had a blast covering it. They can find out much more at VegasInsider.com, correct, sir? Yes, and the NHL playoffs underway, the NBA playoffs are going to start later in the week, so we have that. Major League Baseball is in full force. We have a lot on the Masters as well, if you want to keep an eye on that for the weekend, updated odds every single day. Uh, those things and obviously draft props for the NFL win totals are out for the NFL so those are some things that uh, you can keep an eye on and then before you know it will be a football season how about this I saw a piece written about the Masters that the average odds the average odds for the last 10 winners is right around 22 to 1 and several times it's been somebody 30 to 1 or greater that has won the Masters so just in terms of don't don't always pick the favorites here that are going to win the green jacket that weekend. And you got, as you mentioned, the NHL playoffs. We're excited in Tampa, where I am, where the Lightning have the best record. What will that translate into in the uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs? And whether you follow the NBA, where the Warriors and uh, you know Oklahoma City and Milwaukee and all these other Toronto, all these other basketball cities are amped up for the NBA playoffs. Get all the info. VegasInsider.com. Follow Kevin at VI Rogers. Follow this show always at Three Dog Thursday. My friend, we've come to the end of the run again for the college basketball season. We're going to take a little uh, break here over the end of the spring and the summer and be back before we know it with college football and the 2019 college football season in August and September. We'll morph right into the NFL season. 
And uh, we can't wait to talk about it when it's football time. But for now, I enjoyed it with you. Thank you for being with me week after week here. We encourage the fans and the audience to keep reading Kevin on VegasInsider.com. And again, find this show, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play because it will be back uh, coming this fall for football. Kevin Rogers, great job. Thank you once more. Love having you on Three Dog Thursday. DJ, appreciate it as always, and I'll talk to you in a few months. There he goes, senior handicapper and writer, VegasInsider.com, Kevin Rogers. My thanks to my guys at Radio Influence, Jason Floyd, Jerry Petuck, and company that help out. Again, we will be back for football in the fall. Thank you for being with us through the hoops where Virginia won the national championship. We had a blast talking all about it as part of Three Dog Thursday. I'm TJ Reeves. We take a little time off, and then we're back for the pigskin college in the NFL on Three Dog Thursday this fall. Bye. This is a We've Seen That with T.J. Reeves and Jay Betzel Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We're going to play every once in a while uh, a game of true or false in and around this movie. And you, and you played true or false with me about Gene Hackman and the role of Coach Norman Dale. You played true or false about Gene Hackman and, and Coach Norman Dale as the lead, right? And about whether that was supposed to be Gene Hackman or not. Yes. I, in fact, I've read in uh, multiple spots and, you know, the beauty of the Internet is if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. Of course. So well, I, we're on the Internet and everything we say is true. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So I did see that someone else was originally planned to or offered the role of Norman. And Dale. you put it on me. You said true yes. or false. Yes. And, and you said true or false. Who? Jack Nicholson was originally offered the role <laughs> of Norman Dale. And, and I said that can't be. And you said, no, it's true, and it is true. It is true. Nicholson apparently was under contract to do another movie. I don't know what the movie is, and turned down the role. They couldn't make it work. Now, here's a true or false. True or false, there was another actor in between Nicholson and Hackman that they tried to get to play Norman Dale. I think it's true. I can't remember who it was, but I do remember Jack Nicholson saying Gene Hackman was his choice if he couldn't play it. So yeah, you tell me. They, uh, they, want, they wanted for a little while Robert Duvall to be Gene Hackman's character coach, Norman Dale, and for whatever reason... Duvall uh, did not get the role. Gene Hackman got the role. Uh, the film was written by Angelo Pizzo and directed by David Anspot. Angelo Pizzo is a native Indianan and, uh, and, and wanted to make this movie about Indiana high school basketball and about a famous, here's another true or false, is the movie based on a true story? Jay Betzel, Hoosiers, 1986. Is it based on a true story? I'm saying no. You'd be wrong. False. It's true. It's based actually on the 1954 championship team of tiny Milan High School in Milan, Indiana. We've seen that with TJ Reeves and Jay Betzel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.